Under the Helmet. You'll do your thing, all right? Don't be nervous, okay? The show that looks at long-term player value in fantasy football. It's the moment right here. We're going to have to decide what, what type of team we want to be. Building Dynasties each and every week. I don't even know your name. What's your name? Chad Parsons. I'm telling you, man, you're leading the league in hydration. I got a Dynasty team reaping rewards for the next decade. Katie Flower. You may beat me, but you will not outwork me. Tim Torch. There's only one winner, Chad. Find their written and premium audio content at uthdynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose. Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now. Welcome to the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I'm your host, Chad Parsons, joined by Katie Flower. And we're heading past week six. We got an early recording time and day this week. So week is not complete. But we are moving on to week seven. We're going to be talking about young quarterbacks. We're going to be talking about some buy-sell recommendations out of the Dynasty marketplace here because the next four or six weeks, active, active period and a flexible marketplace, depending on your league, of player acquisitions, selling players and profiles that you don't believe in now or for the future, some combination of that compared to their market value. So let's get to it. And do want to remind you, uh, UTHDynasty.com is the home to where you can find I'm already close to 250 podcasts, so I'm not going to say 300, but I hit 300 in a given year plenty of times. In season, I've been doing some bonus shows as well. You don't want to miss film note shows. That was about an hour, 30, hour, 40, going over every game, uh, all the plays, distilling it down to what you need to know on Monday morning, fresh into your inbox and to your podcast playing devices. So can't recommend it enough. We uh, do a lot of updating on Dynasty rankings and the running back matrix every single week. But I would say the premium shows, if you want Dynasty audio content, have you covered Monday through Sunday every single week of what you need to know from waiver wire to trading to uh, to player value landscape and analysis of what occurred and what we should look for this coming week. So Katie, we're going to be talking about younger quarterbacks. And these are risky endeavors in Dynasty because if you get it right, if you pull the if you pull the trump card of Justin Herbert, of someone that just comes in and changes uh, changes what typically the progression looks like, a Patrick Mahomes, a Lamar Jackson, someone that transcends what the the normal curve looks like for progressing along the way, ultimately becoming a fantasy starter and a stable core asset and and franchise build around guy in the NFL. We're going to be talking about guys that definitely aren't in that mold. Now, the biggest question is, will they get there? The biggest question is, where are they now? And let's start with Tua Tagovailoa. So he's been in and out of the lineup through last year, this year, whether it's injury, whether it's we prefer Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, and and he, there's been so many machinations with him as well as the injuries at Alabama. So Tua Tagovailoa, State of the Union, we're halfway through year two with Tua, and Miami has their own questions going on. But where do you stand with the uh, young Miami quarterback? I think it's still too early to tell. We know that young quarterbacks are going to be volatile. I stay away from them in their first few years if I can help it, or if they do volt, jolt, you know, go all the way to the top very, very quickly, aka the way Baker Mayfield did or the way that Carson Wentz did, they're a big sell for me. They're a big beacon to sell while they're in that window of, you know, the this guy I'm gonna have on my roster for 20 years as a starter, or however many, whatever people are saying nowadays. But as far as uh buying or selling, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be buying unless it was a throw in part of a deal in a super flex 
speculative. Um, I wouldn't pay a very high price for him, but he, it's way too early. He's not even had enough starts to have a QBR this season. He, he's looked good. He's had moments, but he's also looked bad. Miami's going to do that to you. I think one question I've had about Miami watching them this year, regardless of who the quarterback is, is that I'm confused because I'm wondering why they don't use Jalen Waddle like we see the Raiders using Henry Ruggs. That we have not seen much. I saw one downfield target this week, offhanded. I can't remember any uh, in in previous weeks. He got a double. He got a double coverage jump ball that he got out muscled near interception. Uh, and again, was it a 50-50 ball? Yes. But getting him like on deep overs and like finding a one-on-one matchup through motion or through the formation, I like when he runs five-yard outs. And he's their possession guy. It boggles my brain. And I don't know if that is specific to the offense, specific to maybe their comfort factor with the quarterbacks they have, or you know that, oh, well, Will Fuller was supposed to be in that role. And we don't know if anyone can fit that role. Or Devontae Parker, like these are guys that have been out, critical players for them. It almost feels like Mike Gesicki is that run down the sideline or run down the seam. And that's our vertical element you know, on, on shot plays or when we so choose. So that's one thing that... Again, it's just an ancillary thing towards this quarterback conversation. But one thing I wanted to mention that, you know, I look at a lot of historical career archetype information, breakout information, and Tua is in a critical zone. This year doesn't look like it's going to be the, you know, getting it to a top 12. I mean, he's drifting in per game, like out at quarterback 30 or something like he's so let's not let's not project that he's going to get there this year. That would be a miraculous turnaround on three, four fronts for Miami and himself. Uh, So let's assume he goes into year three next year. That's really the year. The year he has to get it done. Daniel Jones is in that season right now. (laughs) Year three for a top 16 quarterback pick to get it done for their first top, top 12 season is basically it. Like that's the one they most likely get it done. That progression, that career arc. Some do it earlier, but basically no one's done it year four and beyond. And with Tua, it's going to be a leap of faith going into next year. There may be coaching changes. You've got probably a decent amount of personnel changes. They've had almost no run game, viable run game presence. They don't want to decide on a guy. Maybe they feel they don't have a guy. And then they just say, we're not going to run the ball. I just think it's there's going to be, if things work out next year for Tua, for Miami, to take a giant leap forward, I think there is going to be a complete and utter new look to the entire, is that a new coach? Is that changes in the front office? Is that we're going to see three to four new skill players around Tua? I think all that is in play. And I almost feel like that has to happen with some of the contract stuff going on, but just some of the talent around him. And then it works out. And to me, going back to what you said, which I think is very applicable, which is we are typically a wait on the sidelines type of group here of let's like with with rookie quarterbacks, we want to get a deal or it's like, let's just let it filter itself out. And, and at some point, some veteran quarterback will have a down window or people will discount for age and they will be buying opportunities for those type profiles. 
but this is just risky. I mean, we, I remember Katie, we recorded shows long, long ago with guys like Derek Carr and James Winston and Marcus Mariota. And these guys were going crazy high, higher than Tua right now, just for the record in Superflex startup drafts. And it's like based on the promise of, you know, looking like there's some optimism there in year one slash year two. And then let's put them through the roof and assume that they've done it. And I think what do we have Baker? What, what's the laundry list of the last like 12 to 24 months? Was Baker Mayfield in that group of assuming he was going to do it? Not in the last 12 to 24 months, but okay. In, I was trying to in think his there's... second year, it, it was a, a little bit beyond two years ago. Okay. But, but he was someone and uh, what, Joe Burrow this past off season was definitely in that bucket of like, oh yeah, yeah, no, no, things are going to be great for sure. And, and there's no, no chance he doesn't do that. Um, but, but yeah, so, so Tua for me is very much a, there's a big hurdle for him to achieve. I mean, looking at some of his advanced, you know, ancillary metrics here. I mean, he's below the NFL Mendoza line, which is like average across the board. So it's not been a great start, but yet he's had two seasons where things haven't gone perfectly with him health-wise or just getting a nice, steady stream of starts and some level of consistency around him. That has not happened. And you know what? Through three, four years, some quarterbacks don't get that. So that's a luxury at times. And sometimes you got to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. He may have to do that would be, would be something that <laughs> going into next year, like I said, I think a lot has to change. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know that they love him enough to put all the pieces around him to make him successful. They've already seemed like they're almost harpooning his success. And it, it feels to me like they're holding him back for whatever the reason may be. It's, it could be just a cluster in the coaching and right. ownership. Assume rational coaching. And then you know what? There's not always rational coaching, which is maybe one of the limitations of that statement, which is a good overarching one. Um, all right, let's talk about Daniel Jones a little bit. So Daniel Jones, you want to talk about the tale of first two, three games of the season? And he was avoiding turnovers. And now, I mean, you want to talk about Humpty Dumpty and there's cracks everywhere. They can't stay healthy. Second Barkley out, but they're missing droves of pass targets as well. <laughs> I mean, is this worse than Miami in terms of what's around Daniel Jones? And now we're starting to see turnovers a little bit. And, and frankly, it's tough to not think that he's going to press just because, hey, trying to win games here, and I don't even know drive to drive who's going to be on the field healthy with me. I don't even know that they're trying to keep him healthy. He had quite a concussion. Um, I've never seen a quarterback get up and wobble the way that he did with you know the spit coming out of his mouth. He was down and out, like really bad, and then all of a sudden, a few days later, he's starting. Um so between on top of their other injuries, I don't know that they're necessarily doing everything they can for Daniel Jones to keep him healthy. But yeah, he went 70% pass uh, completion three games in a row with only one INT up until yesterday, no touchdowns and three interceptions. His QBR is horrible. But again, what did you expect? It's Daniel Jones. It's the Giants. The Giants were going to struggle. Saquon out is a big blow for a guy like Daniel Jones and he doesn't have enough weapons to really get on a roll now that they're injured and banged up. I don't think that that's the death knell for him as a quarterback. And I know that, yes, this is his third season, but QBR 
rating right now, he's 22nd. And he's right in there with Sam Darnold and Baker Mayfield is lower than him as QBR, which surprising. Are we really giving Baker Mayfield enough heat? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Baker is, man, he's been given a pass. Like I know maybe, and I think it's their NFL success, you know, that, that they are a good team. And, but it is not Baker Mayfield centric, you know, in that good team construct. And for Daniel Jones, I actually think there's some bones here. Like he had a promising rookie season in terms of his, his ratios and his touchdown interception rates. And, and a lot of some of the digging into, I look at for career starts and, you know, are you onto a good track or not independent of, you know, were you top 10, top 12, top 15, whatever it was fantasy wise, this season has not gone well, but I look at it from a, Man, I mean, if he had everything healthy around him, like uh, there's so much here, you know, that, that they signed Galladay and I wasn't the big, you know, make him your alpha type guy, but you've also got Sterling Shepard who was producing well, you know, he's finally back and he's, uh, and, and then Darius Slayton, he was a, a, a day three success story in terms of what you typically expect early on from that sort of pedigree at the position. You've got Kadarius Tony had, had, one and a half <laughs> type uh, quality games. You put all that together. I mean, and and Barkley and Ingram, and I mean, you have something, and you have a mobile quarterback, a guy that can actually, we say, got to be diabolically accurate, a diabolical passer, elite level to get up to a high quarterback one, or you've got to be highly mobile, one of the most productive on the ground quarterbacks, and he has that. I could be one of the top five, six rushers in terms of my stat lines at the end of the year or per game in the NFL at the position. He's shown that. So I feel like there's a lot there. Now, him as a player, I see plenty of ups and downs and growing pains and these, what are you doing moments? But he's not like now he's near the bottom of the NFL. When you look at two and a half years of data, we're promising start. It's eroded since then. And just the average NFL ratio of like, you're going to continue to start, you're good enough, is about 1.15. This, this just, just use that as an aggregate number uh, before, without unpacking what it means. He's at 0.91 for his career. So he's way below that. And that's concerning. And it means that you're on the hot seat to not start is what that means. It means don't be surprised in the next one to two seasons if you're not an NFL starter and you're on reclamation mode. He is well below that line. And it means be concerned. It means if this team, and, and that's why I think with, with Tua, well, well, they actually traded away their, their first round pick, but the Giants are on tr- right now, they're on track for a top five-ish pick, if, especially if they keep losing games. And any of these teams with a high first, just know there's going to be a a you know call to the carpet what do we really think about this guy if there's a coaching change there's no allegiance there and they're going to be in position these teams with these types of quarterbacks in position to say let's make a change let's make a Josh Rosen type change of we're going to go with somebody else and maybe earlier than NFL teams would have thought to do 10 15 20 years ago yeah i mean even beyond the completion percentage Teams can make do if you're anywhere between the 50 and 60% completion rate 
What they can't is when you have a touchdown and interception rate where your interceptions are almost the same as your touchdowns, no team can overcome that. They're not going to stand for that that long. He's two and a half years in, and he's got a 39 touchdown to 26 interception. And plus, from a fantasy perspective, one of the things that's telling is the adjusted uh, yards per attempt. He's at 6.4, and that's on two and a half years. That's not that good. Yeah, and and I mentioned the the breakout table. If he breaks out beyond this year, he'll be the first one, dating back to like the '90s in this top half of round one bucket. If you want a guy that breaks out late, it typically occurs from like a later a late first round where they might be sitting behind a guy, aka Aaron Rodgers or something like that. Or it's day three where you just sit and sit. You're a backup, you know, and and you finally get opportunities elsewhere, um, you know, and it just takes you forever because you're going to have no tiebreakers. You're not even going to be in the same building as tiebreakers to get an honest look at a starting job. So those are the exceptions to the breakout in the first three years. Uh, But Jones right now in year three, and again, it drops to zero in year four. So uh, again, and he, could he be an outlier? Could he maybe get close to this? Maybe. Because again, I, I do see some promise. But like you said, I mean, the turnovers are the biggest thing. And that was cropping up before this season. But yeah, I mean, the, if you look at just the last two years, he's been close to like same touchdowns and interceptions. That is unforgivable in today's NFL rules. You just can't have that. Like two to one is considered like, uh, I, you know, I guess that's okay. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a completely different uh, spectrum that we're looking the lens of years ago. And so for Daniel Jones, just the Tua has a little more time because he's earlier on the spectrum. I think Jones has more tools from a size movement and you know that rushing upside perspective. And I think the weapons, if they if they were all healthy right now, might be a different conversation, but we're not we're we're nowhere close. I hope. I just hope he gets in terms of a fair shake. I want to see him is that a month from now, whatever. I want to see Barkley back. I want to see Galladay back. I want to see, can we get a month of healthy weapons around Daniel Jones? And let's see what we got. Because we saw that a little bit. And that was before Kadarius Tony early in this season. And he was one that was highly promising in those, in those games. So I just, that, that to me is my rooting interest with Daniel Jones. I mean, we saw a player through, what was it? Two, three games. He had like one turnover. And now, again, we look back and Washington's defense wasn't S show. We've seen that through and through. Atlanta wasn't that great. Um, but again, he's a guy that can run for 30 plus yards a game. And he's someone that can, he has the arm strength. He has the mobility. He has a lot of things that you're looking for. And if you put two, three good weapons around him, we could say that about half the quarterbacks in the NFL. But I think there is something there. I just, <laughs> the, the historical bones in me can't really get on board because. They've got to win games too to keep him out of that high first draft position that is going to be high risk for him. Absolutely. And, uh, say, you know, as far as for Superflex, these are the kinds of guys in a startup draft that are big crapshoots. They're in right. that value range a lot of times because of what they haven't done. So if I were doing a startup draft today, yeah. I'm more than likely 
would take a shot on someone else over a guy like Daniel Jones, just given the situation. Yeah. The problem with them is there's always someone willing to just say in a startup, I got to take young guys. I got to take guys that have a two in their initial, in, in what their age is. It starts with a two and I have to. And I just think that there's so much risk. Now, the good news is, I mean, I'm looking, I mean, Daniel Jones can still be, you can still get out for like a super flex first and maybe something else too. And it, that feels close ish to what his value has been the entire time. So that, that just shows that pe- people think there still is promise there. And I've alluded to that. But, but like you said, the initial startup draft is the high risk moment because you can't just whiff. I mean, let's face it, you take a couple quarterbacks in your first seven, eight rounds. And if, if, you, if you take young guys that you're like, I hope they can play with your picks in that zone, because there are, because you mix in so many quarterbacks, there are so many good positional players beyond quarterback. I feel like you have to, like, you have to go low risk at quarterback because you're passing on so many. I remember Jordan and I did a two quarterback draft and we took Jared Goff. So Jared Goff would be, he's actually been a quote unquote success story of this like young quarterback. Back then he was with McBay and everything like that. But I remember one thing, this was years ago that we took off and it was over, I think it was a post year one Christian McCaffrey. And again, McCaffrey didn't have the greatest rookie year, but we obviously know what happened in the two to three years since. And, but that just shows the level of leap of faith over a top 10 drafted running back entering year two, huge prime window, high floor outcome there. And then, but you got to take a quarterback that was probably ranked in the 20s of the position because he was young, you know? So like that just shows the typical, the decision-making uh, pairing you may have between quarterback and other positions, depending on the year, which makes it, God, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. And, and we did, it's not that we got it completely wrong with golf, but I just remember that it's like, you look back and you're like, yeah, I could have had McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, there's so many people out there that have the attitude that in Superflex that you have to go quarterback all the time. And I've never been of that opinion. Uh, Early on, if you can secure one decent young quarterback, that's great. But if you're reaching for guys that haven't done it long enough, you can really mess up your team for a long, long time to come. And there's enough older guys from 28 years old to 44 years old that are viable (laughs) quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, you can get them much, much cheaper. They're not as sexy, at least not on, not on paper, but when you start looking at their numbers and you look at QBR, that 44 year old is number four overall in the whole NFL right now. And we are often saying, what's the ceiling for Mac Jones, a guy that throws a 70 plus percent completion rate and He has a decent enough arm when they finally will unleash him. I think he's going to be viable enough with what he can do to be a fantasy producer. Does that mean that I think that he's going to be at the level of a Kyler Murray or a Patrick Mahomes? No, but for his price, what you got him in rookie drafts. And the nice thing about a guy like Mac Jones, he's never going to be so sexy because he doesn't have that rushing upside but you can get him for a steal over and over and over again. He'll go completely underlooked most of his career compared to a guy like Jalen Hurts or uh, pick somebody with the rushing upside, even Joe Burrow that has some rushing upside. They're going to go higher 
in startup drafts and you can end up good or, or bad. I mean, a lot can change in just even just a few games in this dynasty environment that we're in. Yeah. And wow. Talk about a, a professional segue because talk about things changing over the course of a few games, Sam Darnold. And yeah. to, to the preamble to this year was falling out of favor, shifting over, but oh, he was with toxic, uh, a toxic situation with the Jets. And, but he's entering year four. And as I mentioned with Daniel Jones and Tua to some degree of what's ahead for them, Darnold entering year four, never, it's never happened. Their initial top 12 season has never happened in year four plus from, from that draft bucket. So Darnold gets traded for a fraction of what he was drafted in NFL pick terms. He goes over to Carolina. You say much better situation, but you better do it because the wiggle room is not there. The insulation of your rookie contract and all these other factors, not there. So here he is with Carolina. And in the early weeks, it was so staggering to see that, well, in retrospect too, is part of the part of it was schedule, but part of it was you have four games and five rushing touchdowns for a guy that can he move? Yes. Is he Lamar Jackson? Cam Newton? No, hardly. So and then we've seen it crumble back down with uh, some stiffer defensive tests uh, over the past couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, the rushing scores have not been there. All of a sudden, we've seen six interceptions in three games, which is a lot more of what Darnold has shown in his career. When I watch him, anytime the play break breaks down, he starts running around and trying to freelance like some of the quarterbacks that we see are great at that in the NFL. Rodgers. Uh, and you know uh, Russell Wilson, uh, Patrick Mahomes, a few others that he is not those guys. He is not. So I, I just he has good weapons, and we've seen that not matter for the past couple of weeks. Where Eagles, Vikings, legit defenses, and I just wonder, I, not wonder, but it just seems pretty stark that hey, if he scores a rushing touchdown, if he plays relatively clean without mistakes. I just don't know how many games that's going to be. And like you said, the patience factor of turnovers at the quarterback position, it feels like it's becoming less tolerant unless you're in... Like, if Patrick Mahomes throws up a couple interceptions, it's okay. He still puts up 30-plus points and will carve you for the rest of the game. But I don't think there's that margin of error with Sam Darnold, and certainly not in the insulation factor of where he is with his standing of how the NFL, how Carolina values him and valued him to get him. Yeah, I think if he has one more good game, sell him. He, he has not consistently done, even though, yes, it was the Jets um, and he's shown moments, I don't think he's the kind of guy that will ever be a, a top factor. Now, maybe five or six years, he'll have a resurgence if he even has a job. I don't think he's going to have a job uh, at this rate. So, if you can get out, I mean, you probably, if you got him recently, it was more of a backup type role and you didn't pay a whole lot because he hasn't looked good since the very beginning, since his, not even his rookie season. And if you've got anybody that needs a quarterback in a super flex and he flashes one more time, or maybe even right now still. Yeah, it's, I, I, it, you know, a lot of people do, you know, 50,000 advanced metrics. And again, it's so basic sometimes. He's a 60% passer in a league where 65% is like, eh, you just kind of shoulder shrug. And he's basically an even touchdown to interception guy for his career right. and for this year. 
Like he's shown he's not any different. He has really good weapons around him and he can't get on the pa- same page with Rodney, Rodney Anderson, uh, Ro- Robbie Anderson, who was on the same team with him back with the, with the Jets. And he's got DJ Moore, who's very, very underrated. He's got, let's see what happens when McCaffrey comes back, but he's got good weapons around him, a, a quality defense. And it feels like he's the one mucking up the business when they're not, when they're not working well. And so, like you said, it feels like he's going to be the type that he could absolutely be that, that powder keg of a backup in the NFL. Like if we look back 10 years from now, like does he turn into a, you know, a Ryan Fitzpatrick type that could run around, make some plays and, you know, in a short term window could provide a pop, could even win a game or two, but not someone you're going to say, you're my guy. You're my guy for the next one to two seasons. And I bet when the Carolina acquired him, they didn't even think that, quote unquote, you're my guy for the next one to two seasons. They don't really have someone in-house to replace him. But same thing applies with all these quarterbacks, which is you got to win games because otherwise, you know, you're going to be drifting to a draft position where the team is going to have more options rather than not. And I love what you said just going back about, about uh, Mac, Mac Jones, just because when you are accurate and when you can move the offense and generally make good decisions, that's going to be well-received beyond whatever your fantasy stat lines are. Right. You look at him and he's doing everything with his eyes that he should be. He's, he's looking through his progressions. But what, what impresses me the most is he's calling out his protections before you, you can see. He's setting up his, his offensive line to make the blocks. He works within the pocket. He releases the ball quicker than pretty much anybody as far as for a rookie. He's doing every bit of what the Patriots are expecting him to. They haven't opened up the huge whole playbook to him. They want him to be that possession type quarterback to matriculate the ball down the field. I've always wanted to use that in a sentence. Um, But to be able to move that ball down the field repeatedly. And they've been in a lot of the last few games. They went into overtime and, and lost. They've had, you know, the rain game where the rain was coming down hard and it was a missed field goal, but they've been right there. He hasn't been losing them games. I looked at uh, one thing I track on a weekly basis. So I got 35 quarterbacks that are starters uh, or they have started a decent amount this year for their respective teams. And I look at that touchdown, uh, touchdown rate and interception rate and those ratios go together. Um, and the only quarterbacks that Sam Darnold is ahead of are the rookies. And, you, and rookies are typically well below wh- where they will be in year two. And year three, you do see progression there consistently as a historical trend. Darnold, year four, is right there in career ratio. And again, those other guys have basically just five, six games under their belt. For, for many of them, Darnold has years, and it's basically not getting better. He's actually worse this year than his career ratio. So that, that to me is... And it, the, the crazy thing is, all these guys we mentioned, Tua, Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, I've seen trades in the last one to two weeks with them being traded for a super flex first and something. And that just shows how I would say A, liquid and B, insulated the market is of there are buyers on any one of these players that will, that will say, I think they're going to turn around. I think there's promise here. 
or like you said, after a good game or a bad game, or, you know, that they think there's a buying opportunity after, you know, Sam Darnold the past couple of weeks. Oh, now I can buy Sam Darnold, you know, and then when they see a couple of good games, they're like, see, he's going to be great. He's going to be fine. Everything's good. Let's all relax. And I don't, I, I just, I, I think you have to look at the aggregate of like, what are the chances he gets five years from now and he's Kirk Cousins? I mean, the chances are pretty darn low at this point that he turns into a stabilizing element of a, of a passing game. All right, uh, yeah. let's, let's go to some uh, buy-sell recommendations. So this is across the dynasty trading marketplace here. Uh, who is someone you want to recommend as a buy or a sell? All right, uh, Terrace Marshall, I think, is a buy. And, you know, again, it's, he's got Sam Darwin as his quarterback. That may change in the near future. He's got a lot of talent, but he's not done anything yet. His rookie season and week six, week seven is the perfect time for the impatient owner to start saying, oh man, look at Jamar Chase is balling out and everybody else is doing great. And I haven't gotten anything out of Terrace Marshall. I got to sell him. I'd be buying. And you could probably get him for a 22 second. And if you do, yeah. that's a much weaker class than this, this year was. Yeah. They're kicking, the, the person is just basically getting their money back. They think they are. Hey, I bought him for a second. It was worth a shot. He didn't do anything. Woe is me. And, and so now <laughs> I got to sell him for a second. But next year's class is nowhere near what this year's class was. So you're actually, if you're buying him for a second, a random second, you're buying him for less than what the other owner paid. Yeah. And Robbie Anderson is soaking up targets, doing almost nothing with it, especially the past three weeks. Uh, I mean, Marshall has been the clear number three guy um, in that offense at, at the wide receiver core. And we're saying this is based on Sam Darnold, you know, that, you know, that, that is that quarterback going to be the deliverer of fantasy points and rookie wide receivers as well. Yeah. We're getting as a general community, getting impatient with the developmental curve of wide receivers. Cause we've seen guys that, that come in right away and produce and go instantly into your lineup. And uh, that does not happen with Marshall. And he was one of the best metric prospects of this past class. So be patient. 2022 uh, will get here. Um, I'm going to say, and this is going to be, uh, actually, I'll, I'll do a wide receiver since you did. Sell Marquise Brown. Um, I think that with what he was doing, with having such a monopoly of the, the pie of wide receivers, but also of the passing game. He was getting his lowest market share game in the first three weeks with like, who's around him? Oh, Sammy Watkins, once again, soaking up snaps. But we, we saw, we've seen Devin Duvernay take steps forward. James Prochet take steps forward. We saw Rashad Bateman in week six as maybe the most critical addition there of his debut. So Marquise Brown, his lowest in the first three weeks, 23%. Is like, that's a crazy floor of market share with Lamar Jackson dealing, playing well, progressing as a passer, doing a lot of positive things through the air this year, and no run game. I still want to know what, what this year's Ravens team would look like if Dobbins and Edwards were healthy and none of that stuff in the preseason with injuries happened. I still want to know what would happen because they're basically ignoring running back. I get it, but I, I just want to know what they have been to the two years ago Ravens look to the passing game uh, and to the run game. I don't know. Um, but the past three weeks, his high, Marquise Brown's high has been 23%. It's falling. Year, game one, Rashad Bateman had a higher market share than, than Marquise Brown. And I like Bateman better. I think he fits more as a number one. If they have a number one here, Marquise Brown is a speed-based number two. I think he's being valued 
by how he produced early in the season, like a number one. I think the first plus is in play with Brown. I would love to pivot to Mike Evans types uh, of guys that I trust their profile a heck of a lot more where I don't think someone's going to go over the top of them on a depth chart in any meaningful way. I think that Marquise Brown, dynasty value-wise, is at a little bit of a crossroads in the sense that if he finishes this year over the next 10 games a lot differently than the first three, four games started, then uh, you know I think that window, these little in-season windows of, wow, a guy put up 30 points, isn't he awesome? And boy, he's been hot the last two, three weeks. He scored five touchdowns and like all these micro moment oscillations that we get used to in season, but a lot of people just see that I'm hurting a wide receiver, boom, Marquise Brown, young guy, cornerstone guy. And a lot of these, like in three weeks, if Rashad Bateman continues to out-target Brown and we see development for, let's not ignore him. And I, you know, I'm, I'm talking to the right crowd here with Katie, but Devin Duvernay, who was a, a, a day two pick, a guy we saw at the Senior Bowl, a guy that can play, he's finally getting some opportunities. He's right in that. We're going to start to see more things from him. And we are seeing more things. So good on him. Good on the Ravens for seeing some progression there. Watkins out is going to help all these young players see more time. I think this is all positives. But to say that it's Marquise Brown's world and everybody else is just fighting for scraps, I definitely don't see that on this depth chart. And I didn't even mention until now, Mark Andrews, who basically uh, to this point has been the, the wide receiver one for the team. Well, they got horses now at, at wide receiver a little bit. And Bateman is just the latest addition for that. Duvernay playing uh, more snaps and playing uh, better than he did a year ago, getting more opportunities. It's just enhancing the overall landscape here for Lamar Jackson in the passing game. And again, next year, if they get those running backs back and healthy in a more vibrant run game, we may see the pie shrink, even though they have more talent and they feel more comfortable with the passing game, they still may shift back to more of a run game approach. Yep. And he was on my list. He was on my list of people oh, to wow. sell. So I'm right there with you, lockstep. Okay. Do you think do you think it'd be easier to pivot Marquise Brown to another position or within the wide receiver position? I think that's always think an interesting one for dynasty trades. Yeah, I, I'm not all about trading the same position for the same position. So I would use him to try to get a running back. I think you'd be more successful. Um Unless think, it's a, what do you think if you kind of play in a tight end streaming game, you know, trying to get a more stabilized, true number one guy? Absolutely. Uh, okay. That's another, again, changing position changes values and it makes it much harder for someone to really assess the value. Agree, but if you're going or, agree or disagree that you're crazy or something like that, right? Right. But if you're within the same position and you've got a wide receiver in, in the mix, whether there's picks or whatever coming back, it just doesn't seem like you get the same value. Okay. Uh, give us one more here. Give us a, give us a buy sell. All right. So uh, at the quarterback position, I'm buying Mac Jones and I'm selling Jalen Hurts. And this is a dynasty play because I think that Mac Jones is very undervalued. He's QB 26 right now in the ADP rankings. He's QB 28 in scoring for fantasy wise. So that's right around where his price range is should be, but, you know, at around a hundred overall or thereabouts in a super flex startup, that's still a decent buy for me because I think that if we look at his next three years, he is the most 
likely to move on up those rankings, in my opinion. They're, they're going to be putting more weapons around him. They really like Mac Jones in New England, and, and I think that he's one of the more stable assets. And again, because of the price tag that it would take to get him, I would, I would go, and, and my sell candidate is Jalen Hurts, and yes, he is lighting it up for fantasy. He's a QB5 if you look at his overall. That's great. But if you look at his QBR and you look at him as a quarterback, which is the position that he's playing, he's 28th. He's got a QBR of 37. That's ridiculously low. And that's a combination of sacks. That's a combination of interceptions, incompletions. It's the whole picture. And, you know, there isn't one stat that you can say is the end-all be-all for quarterbacks. But if you look at the whole body of work, I don't think he's going, he's like the Blake Bortles. Somebody mentioned that on Twitter and people were going nuts. They're like, oh, that's not even a close comp. Blake Bortles in garbage time was a putting up all kinds of fantasy numbers. But if you looked at his QBR, if you looked at his INTs versus his touchdowns and you looked at the whole package, really, it was a screaming sell at that time when he's at his peak. So right now, QB5, everybody sees that he's tearing it up fantasy points wise. That's the perfect time to sell a guy like Jalen Hurts. And if you want to pivot to the Mac Jones, and then you're, I think you're still going to get on top of that. You could get a 23 first Mac Jones, and then plus some other piece, a really good piece to go with that. And now you've, you've taken the risk and split it into three pieces. That's, that's what I think. Yeah. And talk about Jalen Hurts might be the highest risk guy. When you look at, they currently have three top 10 picks for next year's draft. I mean, they've got three, eight, and nine. They have the ammo. Jacksonville is going to be up there. They're not looking quarterback. But there's a lot of teams looking quarterback, and the Eagles, with their trades, have the ammo to, to get it done. And so Hurts, if, they, if he doesn't win more games, and like you said, show is a passer, he's getting it done fantasy-wise, and that's rushing. But sometimes that can be the biggest Fugazi, you know, like you, you're showing them something like a magic trick, and it's actually something else, you know, behind the curtain. It's actually a mirror or whatever it is, where you're you're seeing different images of a guy that's impactful in your fantasy lineup. Yet you're seeing a guy that may not, may be fragile for NFL stability for a longer term role, at least with his current team. And then you get into well, now you're just nomadically out there, like Sam Darnold. You know, you move. You know, Carson Wentz. All of a sudden, you don't have allegiance. All of a sudden, when a team moves on from you, you don't quite have the same allegiance, especially when the compensation package to get you is lacking and it's not meaningful. You know, if Deshaun Watson moves on from Houston, I'm sure the requisite acquisition package is going to be a lot. So that is a different, you know, Brandon Cook's moving around, but every time he's been traded for, I believe, first round picks. So that's meaningful to say that there's value to be had there of the incoming team. Um, I'll, I'll do a, the same thing. I'll do a combo here at the running back position. My, my running back combo is sell Antonio Gibson and buy Javante Williams. Now, I want to put this asterisk. When I say sell Antonio Gibson, this is not running away. This is, I like the player. But you need to be patient and tolerant if you do not at least explore the sell market. And I would say right now, aka this week, three, four, five day span, because with Antonio Gibson, you need to have your eyes wide open. And we saw that this past week, this shin 
this stress fracture, listen to some of the injury analysts on this. It's not going away. This management issue, and I know it was, uh, what was it, week five? That was when it started percolating up that, you know, we're going to, we have to manage this workload and all this stuff. And he ended up being fine. He had 20 carries. He got a couple of optimal red zone goal line looks and touchdowns. So that made fantasy look better than it actually was. This past week, you saw him limping around and you saw a guy that got subbed in and out. This is not going to go away. This entire year, it takes extended rest and healing and surgery is possible, but they typically don't go down that road unless they need to. This is not going away though. This is not something a bye week or if he sees 10 touches two weeks in a row will fix. So if you're holding Antonio Gibson from now through, I don't know, the next three, four, five weeks, don't be surprised if he ends up on IR. Don't be surprised if sometime in November or early December or next week, he ends up on season ending IR. This is not to say I don't like the player. What this is to say is if you're planning on him in your lineup and you're hoping for a guy that's going to be volume and workload wise in the top 8, 10, 12 of the NFL, I think you need to lower your expectations. There are pivots to be had here if you are interested. I'm fine holding in some of my leagues and just saying, I like the profile. I like the player. I think he's going to be, you know, long term, this is not an issue. Now, short term, meaning this season, it's a huge issue. So just know that, that there are pivots like moving to Josh Jacobs. I think you could absolutely. I traded Gibson back in August, and this is not related to this, but I, I was like, I need to make my team better. I need to get a, I need to start building out my wide receiver core on this orphan, and I need to get other stuff. I traded him for DJ Moore Plus. And again, I needed help at wide receiver. It's been good for my team. Now, you probably can't get that exact deal done now, but it applies though of saying if you're lighter at wide receiver, you typically lean a mean, you're like, hey, I got a bunch of backup running backs. I've got four or five in any given week right now that are starting. I'm doing pretty well. I can afford to pivot from Gibson and make my team better at wide receiver. This is your opportunity. In the last week or so, I saw Henry Ruggs and two first round picks for Antonio Gibson. Getting two firsts and something for a running back is tough outside of a small select subset of players that Gibson is frankly not in. So I, just know that if you are patient and you like Gibson, it's okay to hold him. But don't be surprised if we go down this rabbit hole in the, in the coming weeks of he's in and out, you're not going to have lighten up confidence, and he may go on short-term IR, he may ultimately get shut down for the season. Don't be surprised if any or all of those things happen and you then don't have the flexibility you have in this window probably right now, where it's just one game into kind of seeing what life could be like with this. And then the one other thing I would say at running back is buying Javante Williams. Um, I am, I, I've watched, I watch every game, but Javante Williams has the look of a guy that if Melvin Gordon were to miss time, that's one avenue to producing right now. But he is a guy absolutely sitting there simmering and looking like a 22 break, break the position, not in terms of like he's the number one running back, but just like he is an unquestioned talent slash here's the workload, looks the part, all these things for 2022. And so I don't know when his arrival date is, an injury to Gordon or like, a, like Nick Chubb. You know, we saw 
we, we saw uh, Carlos Hyde suddenly not be there <laughs> at a point in the season. So those things could open things up right now. But I just think at a minimum, he's going to be a 2022 guy. But I just see a look of a guy that's going to be a three-down player. Denver could be there. They look like an ideal spot for one of these maybe veteran quarterbacks that could be on the move. That's looking for an ideal win now, ready to go collection of talent on defense, skill position around the quarterback. All these things look like they're in line for potentially that to happen, but even if it doesn't. So to me, Gibson is the sell. And then Javante Williams at the running back position is the buy. I saw Sam Darnold straight up in Superflex. I would do that. Uh, you can maybe buy him for J.K. Dobbins, uh, where you say Dobbins injury. Is he going to be okay to start next year? A lot of variables there. I'm actually getting a little younger with Javante Williams. He's playing now. He could offer me something this year uh, just as, a, as an added bonus. So those would be my two pivot potentials there at the running back position. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. I agree. Uh, all right. Uh, final thoughts here, Katie, and then we'll do a quick uh, UTH best ball update, which is not complete with Monday Night Football, but uh, it's really early. It's kind of weird to record this on a Monday afternoon just for transparency to everybody, but uh, we're, we're getting our reps in uh, every single week as we always do. Uh, what is on your mind where matchups aren't even complete for week six? Yeah, well, I just want to say thank you. I appreciate you being flexible because I will be traveling this week and next week and traveling can throw a wrench into the recording. Usually I can do Tuesday night even still, but it's just tomorrow's a traveling day. Uh, just continue to assess your teams. It's, it's something that you need to do every week, especially this is the critical three-week area. And over these next few weeks, it'll become very clear whether you're a team that will be making the playoffs or you won't. I've had a couple of teams that are three and two, one's about to become three and three. And I'm still questionable whether or not I think that I can make the run for the, the push for the playoffs. I did not trade Cordero Patterson. He was on by this week. I'm taking a chance that I'm strong enough. I'm not going to start to sell off pieces quite yet, but he's the kind of guy I don't think that he's going to lose hotness just in a week. And if he does, then that's on me. But I, I would rather air towards the side of I'm going to make the playoffs and be stingy and keep my guys rather than try to get too cute and say, well, I think I can make the playoffs without him kind of thing. So just keep reassessing, keep the nose to the grind and, and uh, pay attention to your schedule and where everybody else's schedule is. Because if you've got a couple of cream puff games in the next few weeks, that can help make things look a whole lot brighter. But if you're up against, you're already uh, three and three and your next three or four games are against the top four teams in the league, being realistic, you know, if, if the first one turns into a loss and lost by quite a lot and your points, your average points for aren't even anywhere near the other potential playoff teams, then you've just got to start to say, well, which pieces can I trade that won't really help me going into next year. Yeah, I think I think you need to be a lot more stringent when you start to analyze, you know, those teams that are right in the middle, somewhere in the middle, plus or minus a game from 500, somewhere in there. And then it's a lot easier to assess the one and fives, the O and sixes of saying, okay, did I have the worst luck in the world? You know, am I getting a bunch of guys back from injury and I, I've played a horrible schedule? My all play is actually decent. You know, that that's a quick conversation. That's a quick analysis of do I have a chance or not? 
And then to say, you know, I, I still think far too often people all the way gut their teams because they're not even thinking about, well, who am I building around for next year? If it's just picks and a lot of flyers, like that's a deep rebuild and you did it to yourself. So you also need to say, you know, taking it down to the studs, uh, the studs meaning like the construction reference isn't always the best thing because now you're, it's a deep multi-year rebuild and you did that to yourself. It might've been a one-year rebuild and you made it two or three. Um, and then if you're a good team, I think every, every single week, look at the teams that are falling out of it. Look at the bad two and four teams, the one and five teams, the zero oh and six teams and see who they have. You know, this may be repetitive. You may look every single week uh, and you may send a similar offer for the one player you might be interested on their team, but knock on those doors because they can, they will probably, you know, as the weeks go, probably be more and more open to selling. They might be in the case of I'm one in five, but I got a chance. I'm one, uh, you know, I just need to win a couple games. But when that doesn't happen, you want to, you want them to know that you're interested, that you're open, that you're, you're a contender looking to buy. So uh, always knock on those doors. If you are a declared good team, you know, you're on, on track, but you want to aid your team because discounts can happen. I've seen, you know, I've acquired Tom Brady, I've acquired some good players just because you consistently asked. And, and when you're four and two, five and one, six and oh, look on how can I improve my team? How can I create that double lineup theory? How can I insulate myself? And there's a very few number of players. And so those poor teams with older players, they are suspect to making a trade. And if it's not to you, it's going to be to one of your uh, one of your competitors that's up there at the top of the standings as well. It's not going to be a two and four team that trades for some of their oldest players uh, off the one and five or 0 and 16. Do you want to give a quick shout out uh, to, again, not complete uh, at the time of the recording, but Jacob M. Uh, he's currently in the lead for the UTH Best Ball Contest over there at My Fantasy League for the week. May stay that way, may not. Uh, but we already talked about Mac Jones. Uh, he was in his lineup this week. Leonard Fournette, talk about the season he is having for Tampa Bay as the lead back. He got Daryl Williams uh, into the mix now for the next few weeks. Let's hope. Good volume there for the Chiefs. Marvin Jones, I mean, talk about a guy that's been underrated for a while. Demarcus Robinson, Jalen Waddle mentioned him on this show as well. A couple short touchdowns for him. Zach Ertz, things get cleaned up. Going over there with Arizona. Let's see if that helps Goddard and uh, Zach Ertz this year. Pat Fryermuth got some good volume. So shout out to Jacob M, who, as of this time, taken down uh, week six for the UTH Best Ball Contest. And we'll see how that shakes up. We'll do a more thorough update next week. Do I remind folks uh, that Katie Flower, you can access her in between episodes at FF underscore Skylar 399. Reminder about UTH9C.com and no advertising for minutes at a time. So you can go over to patreon.com slash UTH. Support the show there as well as becoming a general manager plus subscriber. I'm on Twitter at Chad Parsons NFL. And until next time, never settle, refuse to be average, and keep building those dynasties. All of the rest. (laughs) All of the running backs. (laughs)